Amen. Thank you very much. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah the 13th chapter. There is a, a word you might be familiar with. It's called malware. This is uh, short for malicious software created by computer hackers that trying to infect your computer from within. On the outside, an infected computer looks the same, but inside, things have changed. And one of the main purposes of uh, malware is to direct your financial information and, in fact, sometimes transfer your money to those who are your enemies. That is what malware is. The scripture we're going to read, we see how up-to-date God is. There is ancient malware even before computers. An enemy has taken residence inside the temple. It's interesting. Where does he want to live? He wants to live in the treasury. This scripture shows us something profound in life. This story is repeated over and over again because it actually teaches us something about Battles that must be fought by every believer, every church, and every pastor. And that has to do with the devil and the treasury. And I want to preach about the devil and the treasury. Nehemiah 13, verse 1. The Bible says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. It was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storeroom of the house of our God, was uh, allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings frankincense, articles, the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings to the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem from the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. I came to Jerusalem, discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the, in the courts the house of God, it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room, and I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and and frankincense. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together, set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, new wine and oil to the storehouse. I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse. Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe of the Levites, Padiah. Next to them, Hanan, son of Zakur, Mataniah, for they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God. 
and for its services. The devil and the treasury. Let's look at the principle of assault for a moment. The devil always seeks to hinder or stop the work of God. This is the history of the children of Israel. Our scripture begins with a history lesson. Verse 1 and 2, the Ammonite, the Moabite had hired Balaam to curse them. They're on their way into the promised land, and we learn there is an enemy that does not want you to enter into God's will, does not want you to enter into the blessing of God, which is the promised land. And so here, he seeks to stop or hinder the work of God in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Paul said that a great and effectual door is open and there are many adversaries. So that can come spiritual warfare, mental assault, all kinds of various different stratagems. This scripture shows one of the areas of assault that has to do with the treasury. Here is an enemy, Tobiah, who absolutely hates the work of God. He has been fighting it. In verse 4 and 5, says Eliashib, the priest, he prepared for him a large room that used to be used to store the offerings. And that is amazing to me. I want to live in your church. He's an enemy. I want to live in your church. Where would you like to live? Not in the nursery, although the devil is sometimes there. Not in a broom closet. Not in the kitchen. He says, I want the treasury. That is very deliberate. Listen to me. Money is spiritual. If you don't get anything else out of this, please write it down. In your Bible, on your Palm Pilot, whatever it is, you know, you, uh, that's an old joke. I'm dating myself there. Okay. Money is spiritual. There, it is supernatural. It has a supernatural dimension connected to it. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve both God and mammon. This mammon was a, a demon god, a supernatural force, And he says here, if in some way money rules in your heart, he's going to rule your life. It's not just going to be one piece and stay there. Demands service. But this is true in a church. Money is spiritual. Every pastor that is here, you want to have breakthroughs in your churches. If you are in a church and you want your church to be blessed, listen to me. Money is spiritual. Just like if he rules in your heart, he will rule your life. If the enemy gains access and rules in a church, then he rules the church. He determines what happens there. Money is more than bills. We just took an offering. Far more just transpired than the paying of bills. That's often how we look at money. I got bills to pay. We take offerings because, you know, we got to keep the lights on. How many of you like there to be light in church? We got to pay the bills. Oh, it's far bigger than bills. Money is spiritual. 
This scripture says that the enemy's strategy is always restriction or blockage. Number one, the enemy wants to restrict or hinder the resources necessary for the work of God. Verse 10, I perceive that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. This is not an accident. The enemy gains access into the temple. He takes up residence in the treasury. What is the natural result? We can't do the work of God. Why? There isn't enough resources. Very interesting. David Platt, he is uh, the International Mission Board President for the Southern Baptist Convention, announced a few months ago that the IMB plans to, to uh, cut... 600 to 800 missionaries around the world in the next six months. Why would they cut so many missionaries? The reason for the decline is the ability to support financially that number in the field. We can't afford it. And he says also, right now, the IMB is forced to turn people away who want to serve as missionaries. Think about that. Here are people, I know that there are Southern Baptists, they believe in world evangelism. We need to reach the lost. But now the man who's in charge of mission says, there are people who say, I want to be a missionary. And they say, we can't afford it. And in fact, we got to pull up, uh, all of a, uh, or six to 800 missionaries home because we can't afford it. The need is great. The challenge by God going to all the world is there, but I'm sorry, we can't afford it. Number two, the enemy wants to hinder the spirit of God necessary to do his will. And I want you to catch this. It's sad if you can't afford a program. That's sad. But it's bigger than that. This is a spiritual Dimension. Listen, disobedience in money causes a loss of, of dominion. Achan, Judges, chapter 7, he disobeys in the area of money. And what immediately happens? In battle, the congregation loses. They're fighting and their ability to fight, unbeknownst to them, is being affected by disobedience in money, your prayers are affected by disobedience in money and by what you do with money. Your labors are affected. In the book of Malachi, he says the devourer is eating up your efforts. You are planting seed. You are uh, working uh, with the crops. But he says the problem is your labors are coming to nothing. Why? He says it's the money, the devour. Money is connected to dominion. Listen to me. If you do not make good decisions in the area of money, in your life, in your ministry, in your church, you will lose dominion in some area. This is an unavoidable. I often see, and from my perspective, I see men that they are struggling uh, 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 in fruitfulness. Or I see churches that are struggling for breakthroughs. But many times, uh, the hidden dimension is that there are decisions being made that are not wise. Decisions that are disobedient. 
decisions that are not responsive to the voice of God behind the scenes, and it is affecting that. Just recently, a man was challenged uh, uh, by his called up. I need a new building, and pastor, I need you to give me $11,000 to him. And oh, by the way, I owe back rent on the old building. And the pastor asked him a very simple question. How much back rent do you owe? And his response was, I don't know. This is not a hard question. We're not asking for the square root of 17 billion four hundred. Come on. How much back? How much are you behind? I don't know. And besides, the landlord says, I got to rebuild the whole building on the inside. And he asks him a simple question What does the lease say? I don't know. So listen, this is a man who has been struggling to death to try to get fruitfulness. And unending problems, there is no dominion. And if you asked him over the years, he would tell you it's because the devil is so big. Oh, you don't understand what it's like in my city. But in actual fact, in the treasury, decisions are made that are not wise. And they're disobedient. And therefore, surprise, surprise, there's a lack of dominion. This is the principle of assault. Let's talk secondly about the pipeline. The kingdom of God is based on the principle of flow. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of water. Anything God does in the earth always happens. It flows through people. In fact, money flows through people. And so what you have to see here is people can in some ways restrict the flow. People can, in fact, in some ways taint the flow. You know, for years in plumbing, the main material they used to use for pipes in domestic plumbing was Lead. It was easy to work with. And so houses had plumbing that was made of lead. But then they discovered as the water was flowing through the lead pipe, minute particles of lead were tainting the water. So people were drinking lead. All properties after 1970 no longer contain Lead, because they said the pipe taints what flows through it. That's what's happening in this scripture. Think about this. Look at the pipeline of money in the church. Three main players that determine the flow of money in the church. Number one, the pastor. The pastor is the greatest determining factor of resources in the house of God. This is always true in any church. The pastor is the greatest determining factor. The economy is not. The education level is not the determining factor. It's the pastor. This scripture here is very simple. The treasury is under assault. 
will a man of God allow a spirit to rule the finances in the house uh, of God? That sometimes is because of a lack of faith. Well, you see, our people are poor. You know, the economy is bad around here. And the man of God says that. And therefore, it becomes true. Has to do with the man of God who will give in to pressure. Every pioneer pastor, this is a shock to him when he goes in the ministry. He's excited and he begins to talk about money or preach about money. And he feels the oxygen being sucked out of the room. Gets that nervous feeling looking out. It's like there are people here who don't like it when I talk about money. It feels pressure. And there are men that give in to that. They're going to make it easier. They're just not going to talk about it. Has to do with the man of God who fails to understand how important money is. Does not grasp the spiritual nature of money. There are men that they look at money and all they're thinking of is dollars and cents. Rent, electricity, and this is what it costs. That's the only thing they understand about money. They do not understand what the scripture says. The enemy, it's spiritual. They don't understand the credibility factor, that decisions affect credibility. They failed to develop convictions of money. Every disciple, you want to be a man of God, study God's word and develop convictions in money. Every pastor here, you want to grow in ministry. You want your church to develop. You will have to develop convictions in money. So Nehemiah, he understood the importance of money of God. This begins with biblical convictions. Verse 1, they read that no enemy should be in the house of God. Here, they made a decision here. Our money will not be determined by the past. Well, you know what? He's been living here for a while. Don't care. It's not determined by the economy or education and problems that we face. None of those things. They read that the enemy should not be in the house of God. In other words, you have to come to a conclusion. My money... And the money of the church should line up with God's word. That is the will of God. Number two, you have to take deliberate action to deal with this spirit. Verse 8 and 9, I was grieved and I cast out all of Tobiah's possessions. And then he restores the money. A man of God, if you want there to be dominion in your church, and yes, if you want there to be enough money to do the will, uh, the will of God, you're going to have to take actions to deal with the spirit that seeks to choke your finances. See, the pastor's spirit, his actions flow out to all the congregation. It's a great mistake of pastors who think that the people determine the money in the church. Uh, we can't have money because you don't understand the people. They're all poor. And they got, no, you just can't. It's not biblical. If you read in the Bible, it was a man of God who gives a challenge, 
and the people respond. We never find in the Bible Moses saying, we'd like to build a tabernacle, but God, you understand, we've got a lot of slaves here. You understand what the economy is like in the middle of the desert? No. A man of God, when he gets it, and he challenges people, people respond. Number two, there's the personnel. This is what this story reveals. The people who handle the money have a great effect on the flow of money. Verse 4, Eliashib, the priest, had authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, and he was allied with Tobiah. Think about this. It was an inside job. It wasn't that the devil came one day, I'm moving in. It's like, no, no, don't move in. No, somebody on the inside let him move in. And when he allowed access to the enemy, it affected everyone. Very simple. Every pastor here, let me give you a word of advice. Be careful who you let touch money in the house of God. I had a church years ago. I I took over a church. Taking over a church can be interesting. This was one of those. When I took over the church, it was like a big box, and it ticked, and I thought they were giving me a clock. <laughs> I, I this, <laughs> this church had many problems, but one of the interesting things is I had a head usher. He would help count the money. And as he would count the money... If someone wrote a check or if we had, were challenging for church planting or a special offering and we took pledges, he would open up the check. He would see who gave it or a pledge if for some reason they had put their name on it or something. And he would invariably say, they can't afford to give that. They shouldn't give that. And he was the one who touched every offering. Listen. I went through two years of unrelenting financial hell in that church. Took me time to deal with that man. And there was something that he was releasing. In this scripture, God demands faithfulness for those who handle kingdom money. Verse 13, I appointed as treasures over the storehouse, Shelemiah, Zadok, Padiah, and Hanan, for they were considered faithful. And their task was to distribute to the brethren. He says here, if we're going to have dominion, we must have faithful men, reliable, trustworthy. You can count on them. So it's not just that you don't want people taking the offerings who steal. Right? How many of you know that's not a good plan? But the issue here is having people who don't have a correct attitude towards money or in some way allow a spirit to dominate the money and the finances. Number three, third player here has to do with the people as a whole. The Bible records the incredible power that the people in the congregation have in the flow of money. Verse 3, so it was when they, who's they? The people. When the people heard the law, they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. This is more than just a get rid of foreigners day. Okay, that's not what this is describing. 
So there, there are the people got it. And, of course, the connection here was there are enemies who've gained access, and they said that is not acceptable to God. And they responded. When the people respond in obedience based on revelation, God does a miracle. The Bible says they cast out the enemies possessions, and something changes. The Prescott Church, I don't know if you know this. My father took over a a struggling church in a first service. January of 1970, the first service, there were 29 people in the church, and that included, in our family, there were seven. So there was 22 people besides our family in the first church service in Prescott. Many problems Moral failures, all kinds of problems. Very interesting. Pastor Mitchell, he had already uh, had booked in, in the place where we were previously in California, a man named John Metzler, his friend, to come and preach a revival. John Metzler, so when he moved, he said, I, I'm moving, but I still want you to come. John Metzler came, and in the revival, an offering was taken, of course, because we take an offering every service. John Metzler got up, and the first night he preached on money, and he took an offering at the end. Second night, regular offerings taken. John Metzler preached on money, and he took an offering. The third night, he preached on money, and he took an offering. He did this. This meeting went on for more than a week. But Pastor Mitchell said something happened in the Prescott Church from that day. From that day, when Pastor Mitchell took over the church, the church was in debt. It took him time to pay off the debt that they were in by foolish decisions of the previous pastor. He said, from that time, two things happened. Number one, there was a tremendous liberty. This was in connection with what God began to do in saving and transforming lives. But he said, the other thing happened is the Prescott Church has been blessed financially from that revival. Do you know that during the economic crash of 2008, there are many churches, of course, that struggled for various reasons, the economy and building stopped and all those kinds of things. Do you know that in Prescott, our offerings went up in the economic crash? Because God is involved in this. Listen, when God finds people who will do right... He said, I'm going to help people like that. Listen to me. God has more building owners. Brother Hallis doesn't have to hold him hostage, right? Because there's something pleasing when God's people say, we're going to be an obedient people, and the devil's not going to rule in my finances and in our church. Let's close. Let's talk about the memorial. Our call is to create a spiritual climate of favor. Okay, the point here is not, folks, I'm not preaching this to like, folks, we got we to gotta keep the lights on. Let's pay the bills. It's not why I'm preaching this. Our job is to create a spiritual climate of favor. How do you do that? Through the challenging of the issue of money. 
Number one, a spirit must be broken. Verse 8, it grieved me bitterly. I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Sometimes that is pointed prayer. Very deliberate that you pray specifically. Pastor Nehemiah says, I will not let the devil rule in the area of money here. It's not going to happen. Has to do with biblical preaching and instruction. Yes, from time to time, there is a tenseness and people will seize up. So what? Preach it anyway. Give a biblical instruction. We don't give because we tell stories. There was a little girl, she was ran over by a bus, and then she gave in her dying breath money, and people go, Oh, that's beautiful. That's not why you give. You give because a man of God instructs clearly out of the Word of God. You build a biblical foundation. Verse 11, I contended with the rulers. Sometimes you have to challenge a spirit of mammon with focused biblical instruction. I've seen Pastor Mitchell be preaching in the morning and feel resistance. There are people there who have become disobedient and they resent their preaching on money. So what does he do? He'll come back at night and preach on money again. I've seen him stop the servant. Stop, we're going to pray. And bind the spirit of man. I'm not going to let the devil rule here. That doesn't make sense. You do this by giving opportunities for giving. Verse 12. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the corn, the new wine, and oil into the treasuries. They had a chance to give. Wise stewardship finally is how you Break this spirit. Faithful people handle the money and make sure it's distributed wisely. That's your job, pastor. That's the job of the people. You're involved in the handling of the money. You do so wisely. This is more than dollars and cents paying bills. You're changing a spiritual climate by defeating an enemy power. Very interesting. Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. Verse 23, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Very interesting. He doesn't just say, you've done right in money, so I'm going to give you more money. Although I like those stories too. He says, you get to rule. Because in fact... If you gain dominion in the area of money, you get to rule spiritually. That means when you pray, your prayers have dominion. They have power. That means when you outreach, something happens. Is It is supernatural. Dominion. Very, very interesting. Every conference. It is so fascinating to me. You know, we get people always, it was the best conference ever. Yeah, that's amazing to me. We, you know, we've been doing this in Prescott now for, what, 43 years or something like that. It was the best ever, twice a year. Best, best, best. Yeah, how is that possible? And you get people who they will call or personally thank or email or fax or carrier pigeon, however they send a message. 
And they will talk about how God blessed them. You know what's interesting to me? Is we get as many, if not more, testimonies of what God did in their life through the offerings as we do through the preaching. You know, people say, I, I went to conference and God spoke to me in an offering and I obeyed and when I got home. And they'll tell of favor in buildings, fruitfulness that was released because the issue is dominion. It's not just dollars and cents. But in this, as we close, there's a memorial dimension that's at stake. After telling of all that they did, verse 14, Nehemiah prays and he says, Remember me, my God, for this. Do not ignore my love for the temple and its service. Remember, literally, this word means make a mark so it will be seen and recognized. It has the idea, memorial means to be in the mind, to attract attention and remind. Listen, there is a connection in the Bible between money and our prayers having supernatural favor. Notice the order in this scripture. Number one, Nehemiah says, I have done right in money. Number two, remember me. Cause my prayers to be heard. This is not buying a miracle. Okay, I'm not a TV evangelist. I don't have the hair, right? You know what I mean? If you give $10 tonight, I want you to know by the time you get home. No, 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 no. That's not, you're not buying a miracle. This is about pleasing God. This man understood, I've done right, God. I know that that pleases you. Listen, if God has your money, very good chance he has your heart. That's what he really wants. And in fact, he can't have your heart without having your money. When God finds people and he says, you know what? They love me more than their own selfish desires. They love what I love. Literally, in the Bible, giving gets God's attention. Acts 10.4, your prayers and your giving have come up for a memorial before God. Philippians 4.18 says the gifts that you sent are a sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. There's something powerful about prayer that is made in connection uh, uh, with our giving. It gives com- confidence. Bible says in, in the book of 2 Kings, there's a woman in Shunem, the Shunemite woman. She's often called that she sees the ministry that Elisha is blessing other people with. She says to her husband, you know, I see this guy, he, he makes a circuit of various towns. You know what? We need to invest. We need to bless his ministry, why don't we build a room where he can come and be refreshed and prepared for ministry? This costs them financially. And you know what happens is the woman has no son, so first of all, that's a whole sermon in itself. What do you want from God? She's afraid to even say it. The servant says she doesn't have any children, doesn't have a son. Fruitfulness is the longing of her heart. She won't even say it. She's afraid she's never going to get it. God gives her a son. Then you know what happens later on. The boy's in the field, my head. 
and he dies. You know what she says to the servants? Take my son, not to the morgue, not to the hospital. You take him to the room that my giving has already prepared because I'm going to go talk to God. There's something powerful there. I'm going to go talk to God. But in the meantime, where I want him to be, I gave. There's a confidence that I have that makes God happy. So I can ask with confidence, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But that's the verse after he says, and you gave into the ministry of the work that I was doing here. And it smelled good to God. And my God shall supply all you need. Let me tell you a couple stories and I'll close. Man in one of our churches, he'd had failures in his life, failures in ministry. And so he had not been involved doing anything for a number of years. And he had stopped tithing had got himself in a huge amount of debt. God began to stir him in the preaching. And he went to one of the pastors and he said, God is stirring. I really would like to get involved. And the pastor said, we'd love to have you involved, but there's a problem. You don't tithe. And he said, you don't understand. I have so much debt. I've been stupid. And he said, I can't afford to tithe. I'm never going to get out of debt. And the pastor challenged him and said, you can't afford not to tithe. You're going under anyway. Why don't you try it and see? And so he said, all right, I'm going to tithe. Doesn't make sense, but I'm going to obey God. This man was a policeman. His culture, the language that he spoke growing up, his superiors approached him one day and they said, we have a problem. There's a major criminal gang. We have wiretaps. We're recording them, but they're speaking this language, and no one here speaks it, but it's your language. How about you translate the wiretaps for us? And so he did for eight months. He received his salary as a policeman and spent all day transcribing these conversations of the wiretaps, getting paid overtime, double overtime, and triple overtime on top of his salary. In eight months, he was able to pay off $98,000. And as soon as he paid off all of his debt, the job stopped. Listen to me. This pleases God. Now, now think about this. If this was you and I, if we were God, which is good that we're not. Somebody comes, they've been disobedient and stupid for years. You're how much in debt? I'm in trouble, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course you're in trouble, stupid. You should be in trouble. Let that be a lesson to you. But that's not what God does. Someone comes and says, I've been stupid. I'm in trouble, but I'm going to do right now. God says, I'm going to help them. That's the God that we serve. Thank God. 
One more story. Here's an email from one of our pastors in Port Vila, Vanuatu, Rodney Lambert. says, I want to give a praise report of what God did in Port Vila. I mailed a world evangelism check to Prescott yesterday. This morning in prayer, I was praying. Actually, I was complaining. <laughs> Any of you ever do that? In prayer, I was complaining about all that we needed to pay for in the coming months. We have a harvesters, a conference. We need to retile the church, water tank, one of the baby churches, other bills. We don't have the money for it. And I said to God, God, I gave a world evangelism offering to Prescott. I need you to get involved in this church. He's praying that in the morning. He leaves church and goes home. He sits down to have breakfast. He gets a phone call And the man says, would you give me the church bank account details? I want to put some money in there. And he said, I waited for a few minutes and I called the bank. And this man had deposited 720,000 Vatu. That's their money. That's 8,175 U.S. dollars. God, I gave. I need help. And God said, yes. Because, listen, this is more than bills. This is about obeying God, not allowing the enemy to rule. And any time Christians, members of congregations, and pastors will take that seriously. I want to tell you something. God will get involved. Listen, God has miracles for the churches on the East Coast. He has miracle fruitfulness. He wants to do wonderful things here. He has miracle buildings and miracle money. Listen, he wants, he wants to do things that you haven't even dreamed of yet. But that will be connected always to people who say, we will not let the enemy ever rule in my personal finances I'm going to do right. And in our church, the devil does not rule. And God says, if you will make those decisions, I'm going to back you up with blessing. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes all across this place. Thank God. With our heads bowed, I'm giving a challenge, first of all. There are people that are here. You desperately need God's help. But the problem is you're not right with God. And I want to be honest with you. God does not bless sin. You can't live like a devil. Then say, God, now will you fix all my problems? But some of you come in. I don't know if you were invited how you came, but your heart is not right with God. You need to fix the sin problem. You need God to forgive you and change you from the inside out. How many here, you're not right with God? You believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. And while our heads are bowed, if you want to pray tonight and turn from your sin, I want you to do one thing. Lift up your hand if you want to pray. Say, I need to get right with God. How many here? Lift up your hand. I'm not right with God. I want to get right. Or you're backslidden. Lift up your hand. Backslider. Hold up your hand. God wants to help you. He wants to save you tonight. Amen. Then I'm giving a challenge. I preached about the issue of money very deliberately. Because there are people here, you need miracles in your personal life. You need miracles in your churches. We need God to help us as a fellowship. This issue is a very important one to God. It's the issue of who is going to rule in the treasury. Let's stand up to our feet. 
If God spoke to you, I invite you to come make a decision before God. You tell God, I am going to do right. I am going to be obedient. And I'm going to help to establish dominion in our church so that you have right of way. They're going to sing while people are coming to the altar and seeking God.